DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Zero Res. Put your best foot forward with the Zero Res cleaning before the holiday. Clean in November, make a food donation to Zero Res, and they'll clean a fourth room for free. Forwards or backwards, Zero Res is the right way to clean. Call them now at 801-288-9376. 801-288-9376. Time to bring in Ryan Abraham now. USCfootball.com. He's joined this show frequently over the years, and he is back because USC and Utah are scheduled to play Saturday. Now, having said that, we've had 15 games called off in Maryland, Michigan State, the latest one to be added to the list. But let's go ahead and assume they're going to play this game. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. That song got me fired up. A little football coming this weekend. So how fired up are USC fans? Because I see the portion that are on Twitter – and they're angry. They're furious. These games have been too close. SC's messed around and been fortunate to win at the end, which is a sign that Clay Helton sucks and all is wrong with USC football. Twitter demands accountability. You nailed it. And that's the kind of way the fan base is, even on our message boards. And you wonder what percentage of the fan base that is, but it's definitely a vocal percentage. It's the passionate percentage, people that really follow the team understand they look at the team oh they're two and oh it's a pandemic year that's good well i mean arizona doesn't look like they're a very good team and you're pretty lucky to beat them at the end obviously the arizona state game they were a 99.9 percent chance of losing and they end up pulling out a miracle and it just doesn't seem like the problems from the years past have been fixed even though you've made a lot of changes outside of the head coach so yeah the fans are, are pretty upset and they're mostly upset guys that the the hardest part of usc schedule was basically lopped off. There's no Alabama, there's no Notre Dame, there's no Oregon, there's no Washington. So those were going to be opportunities for Clay Helton to kind of stub his toe. Now there's not as many opportunities to do that. This weekend is is one of them, though. All right, Ryan. Uh, even though I worked at the Daily Breeze, lived in the South Bay for a decade, I'm a graduate of Arizona State, and if you think SC fans are furious, <laughs> you ought to see what we're going through. <laughs> <laughs> but with that in mind, when I go to the gym, a lot of times I listen to uh, Phoenix Talk, uh, Sports Talk Radio. The uh, boss there used to be our boss here in Salt Lake. Anyway, I have an interest. So they had Jan uh, going into that game, the first game. And you were talking about how the receivers, the, the, the core isn't very deep. And I thought to myself, so they only have four NFL receivers <laughs> instead of six? <laughs> Because they sure looked really good to me these last couple of weeks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, losing Michael Pittman from last year, he was a leading receiver. But you knew guys like Armand Rossi Brown were were studs. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's has just been really steady. He has a chance to set a bunch of USC passing records. And, you know, guys like Drake London were emerging, or Brew McCoy we hadn't seen yet. He was a former five-star. And and Drake London has just been probably the best player on the offense so far this year. So I wasn't really expecting that. I mean, he's catching short passes over the middle and just running through guys and making huge plays. So he's the one that caught the game winner against Arizona State, a fingertip catching traffic. So he's been, I mean, USC might be 0-2 without him at wide receiver. So I feel like it's not as deep. Like there's just not that many guys if a couple get hurt. But you're right that the first three or four guys, like I think they're all going to be playing in the NFL. So it's, you know, they'll be testing a young, uh, less experienced Utah secondary. So that's definitely going to be something to watch. So, Ryan, the, uh, we have uh, ex-college football players on from Utah, BYU, and Utah State, and the one thing they've all agreed on is that 
even though the Utes sent a bunch of NFL guys, uh, a bunch of D-line guys to the NFL, they've got a bunch of D-line guys who can still control the line of scrimmage, and they're going to go get Slovis. I mean, Slovis is thrown for 700 yards, a little over that. If, if you let him stand there and throw it, to his NFL receivers, he's going to do it. So they're of the opinion that the Utah defensive line is going to keep Slovis off balance, under pressure, on the move, and and give that secondary a fighting chance. How much faith do you have in USC's O-line? Yeah, you know, that's been one of the big question marks coming into it. I think the tight ends have performed fairly poorly just for when, when they're on the field. But the offensive line, I don't think they've been fully – tested yet and this is going to be their toughest test of the season because utah just keeps cranking these guys out uh you remember when like stevie tuikovatu transferred to usc and he was a star for usc he was like a third string guy at utah so they've definitely put out tons of defensive linemen and it looks like that you know the they're going to still have a great rotation with a lot of athletic guys that can really get after the quarterback and i think that's going to be the biggest issue for for keen slowis is really trying to get the protection he needs. Elijah Vera Tucker, they moved him out to left tackle. He's been an absolute stud. He's going to be another first-round draft pick for USC. But outside of that, there's been a lot of question marks, and there's been some blown assignments. Um, you know, We've seen some mistakes being made that really have blown up plays in the backfield. So, yeah, I, I like the matchup with the USC's receivers against the secondary, but can Slovis get there? He likes to get you know, rid of the ball quickly, but I think there's going to be a lot more pressure in this game on him. So how he handles that, can he take off and run and pick up some yards, whatever he needs to do, because I do feel like the Utah defensive front is going to give a lot of problems to the, the USC offensive line. So during the Arizona game, you had analyst Joel Klatt talking about Slovis, and he said something's off here. Now he did go in and lead him to that game-winning touchdown down at the end. And afterward, it was addressed, uh, at least it was brought up, What's going on? Is there something wrong with his arm, his shoulder, or what have you? And he, Slovis and, and Helton, if I remember correctly, were talking about, well, it was mechanical issues. They'll get those things straightened out. Is it deeper than that? It, we call it arm gate because it's weird. I asked Graham Harrell after the first game because I thought I, I saw that against Arizona State, and he said, well, I'm up in the press box. I didn't really notice the ball's fluttering. I'm, I'm way up near the moon. It's hard to see. I'm like, well, we can see it on television. Like, There's no way the offensive coordinator wouldn't know. So it happens again against Arizona, and now everyone's asking the question. Keaton Slovis brought up mechanical issues. Uh, Clay Helton said that the balls were kind of slick. It was windy, even though there was no wind in Tucson from all the reporters that were there. Um, and, and then Graham Harrell came out on Tuesday this week and said, I don't know what Keaton's talking about. It wasn't mechanical. He thought that he maybe threw a bad ball, it slipped out of his hands, and then it was in his head the rest of the way. But Clay Helton has doubled down or tripled down and said, he looked great in practice this week. It, it was just a one-time thing, even though this, we, I've seen it for two weeks in a row. But he said it's not going to be an issue uh, going in this week, and you're not going to have to talk about it again. So we'll see. But you know, thinking about it, uh, you know, an altitude environment where it's going to be cold at night, like that seems like a good opportunity where balls could slip out of your hand a little bit. So it's going to be something to watch. He's still been accurate. He's still like 70% as a passer, and he's doing really well. But they just haven't looked as crisp. So it's definitely going to be something to watch. So I would watch for that and see if his balls flutter a little bit. It's been happening, but he's still been very effective. So on the other side of the football, uh, USC has given up uh, 57 points in two games. That seems like a little bigger number than your average head coach and defensive coordinator would prefer. What is the? Are there multiple problems? And if so, what is the number one problem? 
Yeah, we got to talk to Todd Orlando, the new uh, defensive coordinator, and you know he's he's admitting that there's issues, that there's a work in progress going on, and you know kind of alluded to they just haven't had that many weeks together to to look like a cohesive defense. It just seems like if you watch them, they're kind of slow to the ball sometimes. There's some bad angles. I do love the way the defensive line is playing, and Marlon Tuipolochu is leading the team in tackles from a nose tackle spot, which maybe that's a bad sign, but he's really been good. The safeties, Talanova Funga and Isaiah Polamau, I think they've played really well. And even the corners, there have been some penalties, but uh, you know Elijah Griffin and Chris Steele, I think they've been solid back there. The, the deficiencies, I think, have mostly been at linebacker, and you have a former five-star, Pellier Ote that just has, you know, he's got banged up a little bit. He's in concussion protocol, but him and Raylan Goforth and the guys that they've used in the inside linebacker spots just haven't been making the same kind of, you know, the same amount of plays that the first game against Arizona State, your inside linebackers had one solo tackle total. And that's just not going to cut it. You know, you need those guys making plays. And Todd Orlando's a linebacker guy. So I really thought we'd see a step up there from that group. So it's from what he's saying, it's still a work in progress and they're working on things. But I'm just not seeing them flying around to the football and it's more of a kind of reading and figuring out what's going on and then they look a little bit slow so you could tell from talking to Todd Orlando that he's a little frustrated with that and we'll see if they have any new wrinkles coming in this weekend but I think Utah's going to test them especially the linebackers so I think they're going to run the football quite a bit and uh, I think it's going to be a, you know, a good test for these guys to, to see how, you know, how they can hold up against a good offensive line and a good running game. So you speak of the inside linebackers. I think they've got to probably be pleased with number 99 on the outside, Drake Jackson. He's been, a, yeah, is this a star for USC? He picked up two big sacks against Arizona late in the game, and he missed most of the first half. He had to go get an IV. There were some dehydration things going on. And he was a big contributor in the first game against Arizona State, but just didn't have the stat line. He picked up the stat line uh, in game two. And I think for this defense to roll, uh, it, it, he's going to need to play a, a big part of that, and just getting after the quarterback. He's they'll drop him back a little bit, but he's mostly you know they call him like the the B back or whatever. But he's mostly going to be hand on the ground at the line of scrimmage, kind of getting after the quarterback and supporting the run. But they will have some when there's these different zone reads and things like uh, zone coverages. They'll he'll drop back, but for the most part, he's still like a you know defensive line. But he's lost like thirty pounds in the offseason. That was a little bit of concern after he didn't get a lot of stats in game one, but he still looks like the, the same Drake Jackson we saw last year, and uh, that's a good thing for USC. When Kyle Winningham looks at the stats, which obviously he did a while ago, but when he did look at the stats, and he saw that USC was giving up on average 208 yards a game on the ground, uh, man, he, he's going to want run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Does that... Um, you know, the theory is you run the ball, you keep the other team off the field, and they're out of sync offensively. Does SC seem vulnerable to that at all? Or is there basically an NFL quarterback, an NFL receiver sitting over there like, whenever you let us back on the field, we're, we're just going to start throwing passes and 15 yards a pop right down the field? Unless we no, break I a big one. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. USC is vulnerable to that. There's uh, Clay Hilton has a you know one of his cliches. He likes to talk about situational mastery and you know being the master of these different situations. It kind of makes uh, the USC fans base the, their skin crawl when they hear it. He's talked about it all the time. But there have been bad situations where it's if the you know the defense forces a turnover and the offense isn't able to take advantage, or the offense gets a quick score and then the defense gives up a really long drive. They just the situations haven't worked out where both sides are kind of 
helping each other. And if you are able to have a sustained drive and you keep the offense off the field, I think you can get uh, that offense out of rhythm. And we've seen Jaden Daniels, very mobile quarterback, ran all over the USC defense in the Arizona State game. But Grant Cannell is a you know pocket passer, uh, strong arm guy. And he was really effective. I think he had six first down runs in, in the game against USC. So it's not just you know the, the running backs, which you know Utah's got a good stable there, even you know after missing Zach Moss. But either quarterback, whoever I don't think they've named a starter yet. I think you know even though they're not the most mobile guys, they're not Tyler Huntley from last year. I think they can be really effective uh, moving the ball with their legs if the, the play breaks down. Uh, you know, is USC going to use some kind of spy or whatever? They started doing that in the second half, but. Arizona was very effective with a pocket passer running the ball uh, out of the quarterback position. So I think that's definitely going to be something to watch. And if you can, you know, you chew up some time and you get a lead and you can sit on it for a while, we saw USC struggle. And they've been great at the end of games, and they've, they've put it together when it counts. But that's give, that gives you your best shot to win the game. You get a lead early and don't let them kind of go crazy and get a lot of momentum on offense when they can, you know, because they have all that firepower. So with Harold calling the shots on offense, is this what we're going to see consistently the rest of the season, is that the run basically is augmenting the pass rather than the other way around? Yeah, you know, they talked, Clay Hilton talked about he wants to see uh, USC be able to run the ball for like 165, 170 yards, and the reasoning was some of the prolific passing offenses from last year like LSU and, and Alabama were doing that, and they got that. They got 170-something yards against Arizona, but it just doesn't seem like that's you know, it, it's like, oh, you got there was a magic number you needed to get to. They talk about it, but they're still throwing the ball, uh, I think, like 60% or a little bit more. And, uh, you know, one of the more passing, uh, you know, happy teams in the country right now. And I, they've talked about it. They've talked about they want to run the football more. And I think their running backs have played well. Stephen Carr is a former five-star who just the last two years has not looked the same after he had a back injury. He's apparently, you know, added five inches to his vertical leap. He looks a lot more explosive out there, and Marquis Step is a powerful back. But they've had a lot of third and shorts, fourth and shorts stopped in the first two games, and that's you know people are pointing at the offensive line, people are pointing at the scheme that you're, you know, fourth and inches, and you're in the shotgun. What are you doing? Um, so there's been a lot of questions about that. So that's going to be something to watch. I think they've got they've been able to run effectively, but can they run when you expect them to run? It's third and two. Are they going to be able to pick up those two yards? Um, so I think that's something that you want to watch for. But you're, you're right; it's it's more of a it's good offense that's going to lean on the pass, even though they've talked about really wanting to be uh, you know have more run involved in it. The shotgun at the one yard line always drives me nuts, <laughs> and it happens all the time. But I digress. Um, it seems like the thing that has helped USC run the ball. Uh, because they do predominantly throw it, but 80, averaging 85 snaps a game, that seems like a really high number. Do you expect them to sustain that? 85 snaps is a ton. It's a ton. They had a lot more against Arizona State, uh, and that's kind of like skewing the other. It was more like, I guess, normal uh, against Arizona, but Arizona kind of controlled the ball uh, a little bit more. It's They would like to do that, and they'll run some tempo, but it's not really a tempo kind of team. They've, they've shot themselves in the foot sometimes. You know, you get a big play and you try to get up to the line of scrimmage and run a tempo play. They did that at third and goal at the one. Uh, they get down to the one-yard line and they rush up to the line of scrimmage and the, the tight end moves and now it's third and five or third and six. 
and then they get a de- delay of game, and it was third and eleven. So they go from third and one at the you know one yard line to third and eleven, and they miss the field goal. So there have been some empty trips like that when they've tried to go fast, but. I feel like they do. They would like to get more plays in, and because they have a lot of playmakers, it just gives you uh, more opportunities. And they're going to get, you know, some choke yards in the passing game. And I feel like they need to run more of those plays, you know, to get more plays, so they can work in the run and and get that, you know, get those averages up. When they when they kind of just rely on the pass, there's a lot of criticism there. And but that's kind of what they do. That's kind of who they are. So. They get more plays like that. They know they can mix in some more runs and sort of kind of keep people happy. But that's, I think that's when it's going to be the most effective offense when you're seeing that many plays. I just don't know if they can sustain that, you know, especially against a, a tough defensive front like Utah. I want to touch on a little bit of recruiting here, particularly the quarterback position. I know they've got commitments from, or at least they had, maybe they haven't kept them, uh, two kids, and then they offered, we got a stud here at Corner Canyon that's uh, thrown for eight zillion yards and all that, and they'd offered him. How many quarterbacks do they normally offer and take commitments from? They're kind of in a rough spot right now because of the way um, the, you know, the last couple recruiting cycles have gone. I mean, they had... Uh, you know, Bryce Young, who was you know one of the top quarterbacks in the country, committed for a very long time. He flips at the last minute and goes to uh, Alabama. You know, Jack Sears transferred out of the program, and you know we saw him up at Boise State. Now, JT Daniels transferred out of the program. He's potentially potentially going to start this weekend for Georgia. Um, so they only have two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster right now: Keaton Slovis and, and Matt Fink, who you know can't had to play against Utah last year and they had a, a walk-on transfer from uh, Vanderbilt who played some games in the SEC that they were he's gonna be a third string guy and he's out with an injury so they just don't have a lot there they got Jake Garcia and Miller Moss are a couple of four-star you know uh, drop back quarterbacks that they have committed for the class of, of 2021 and they're still recruiting some guys there and, and other guys in, in 2022 but it's just hard to keep that pipeline full when guys are, are transferring out and you know they've you usually get that five-star guy at USC every other year or so, and Bryce Young bailed out. They didn't get a quarterback in the last class. So they've had some numbers issues there, and when guys are transferring out, now what are you going to do? So they need to bring in at least two for 2021, and they got to keep, the, you know, keep that going. But, yeah, right now, and we don't know. I mean, the, we, the dead period lasted the whole year. There's no visit. So, I mean, these, I feel really bad for the guys in, in 2021. The quarterbacks usually know they've been around the campus and stuff, and they know the program. But if they keep both of those guys, and Jake Garcia, one of them, had actually moved to Georgia so he could play high school football there, they should be okay. But if not, then you're kind of scrambling again for for finding a quarterback. But right now, with only two scholarship quarterbacks, they need to bring in as many guys as they can. Moved to Georgia so he could play high school football. I thought it was crazy when I heard people were moving to Utah to play high school football, and a lot of kids did that. <laughs> I can't imagine going to my parents, but, you know, that was a different era, so whatever. Yeah, he PK, can like you imagine transfer. going to your parents and saying, hey, we got to move here so I can play high school baseball? <laughs> yeah, but in California, he transferred to three different high schools as it was before even going to Georgia, so, so he's used to it. He's already in the transfer pipeline. <laughs> Well, Ryan, uh, before we let you go, uh, are you expecting SC to come out of this game 3-0, and the advantage of having two conference games uh, under their belt? You know, the, the, the home team has won, but what, the last seven times in this series, it's going to be altitude, and we've seen Kyle Willingham really play well in the, the openers. But I just feel like there's a, you know, I watch Cal, who I like, and they look terrible against UCLA, and that was their first game. You know, USC having two warm-up games, you know, for this one, 
I just think that's going to be a pretty big advantage. And we don't know. I mean, there could be guys that are you know key contributors that are out. We just don't know for the Utah roster right now. So I think USC is going to be three and zero in this one. But obviously, wouldn't be shocked if uh, if Utah gets the the win here. But I think just the the advantage of already playing two games might be a little too much to overcome. Ryan, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Ryan Abraham, anything you want to know about USC football, check out his website, uscfootball.com. It's, uh, you know, we always talk about how the media is changing, PK, and obviously we're seeing, you know, local papers here aren't going to print in, the Davis, the, in Davis County, the Davis Clipper just closing its doors altogether. And you want information, you go different places, and he's turned uscfootball.com into a thing. Oh, for several years, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And don't forget yeah, about the podcast of champions. Yeah, the podcast of champions, right? Yeah. All right, well, we appreciate Ryan coming on. You can check him out at uscfootball.com for you uh, L.A. transplants who want to follow USC football. All right, DJ and PK, back to the NBA draft. Craig Bullerjack joins us next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I want more for BYU than North Alabama and two bye weeks that follow it. I want more for BYU than to drop down the rankings to probably 11th or 12th by the time they get back on the field against San Diego State. Yes, I'm happy with what they've been able to do. I just want more. I want to know who this team is, and I don't want a garbage game that I have to sit there on a Saturday and do an hour pre and post for against North Alabama. I can't bring myself to watch game film of an 0-3 FCS team. I can't. They're 142nd in FCS football in passing the ball. I'm trying to figure out how I transitioned. Joining hands on the uh, pre- and post-game show on Saturday, Will Snowden. I will. Jeez. I don't even know what to say. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in the TV voice of the Utah Jazz, Craig Bowlerjack. Bowler's Weekly Interview is presented by University of Utah Health, trusted healthcare provider for the Utah Jazz family and yours. Bowler, good morning. Hey, guys. Uh, do either of you sleep? I think I heard you late into the night on radio. <laughs> I, right now, am slouched in my chair. Are you? With the head on the top of the chair, and it doesn't actually have a headrest. <laughs> My posture right now would get me yelled at if I were really? under the age of 18, but really? I'm not, and no one can stop me, and Yach doesn't care. And Yach doesn't care. Thank you, okay. Yach, for not caring. That's okay. We can bring in the energy anyway. Bring the fire. Bring the passion, PK. Hey, hey man, I'm doing push-ups in a commercial break. What are you talking about? Nice. Day to, nice. Beast mode. Improve yeah. body. I thought of you, PK. I think that was bang a gong, get it on, just coming in off the commercial break. So I figured, you know, that that had to be your pick of the morning. T-Rex, let's get it on, man. T-Rex, that's right. Jazz make a couple of selections. I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love the NBA draft. It's the one that I follow the closest, and it's easy because we see these guys, not all of them now with the – importations i guess of the uh, um, uh european guys we don't see as much although some of our american kids are going overseas on all that but and nevertheless right. we get excited about it jazz come up the thing that i the thing that i found most intriguing is that they went for two guys that one played four years 
and, and Doak, and the other one, Hughes, didn't play four years, but he was in college for four years because he redshirted as a transfer. So he's 22 years old. I mean, they're still kids in the grand scheme of things, but in terms of basketball-wise, they've got some maturity, which leads me to believe that at least in an anticipation of some form of contributions in this very upcoming season. You know, when uh, Azubuki spoke last night on that Zoom call, um, I thought that question about his four years, I believe it was by you there, PK, about um, was he glad he played the four? Was he better prepared, more more mature? And so, you know, in step with your your comment, you know, it doesn't happen a lot lot anymore. You you usually believe that a four-year player – has some sort of, um, let's just say, inability. Uh, doesn't really strike the court of a of a GM, you know, instead of a 18 or 19 year old. But I think in the case of the Jazz, they're looking for a little bit more of a mature player who's been down that road, uh, like Elijah Hughes as well from Syracuse. So, yeah, it was kind of a, a couple of intriguing, um, you know, picks. Um, I still think there's work to be done. Uh, what's amazing, too, is that uh, as a bookie, what do you say, uh, that is the most the, the best well-known jazz player was Tony Bradley, who was actually then uh, traded to Detroit. And so it's kind of a strange issue, isn't it, that you have one guy in, one guy out, uh, that they know each other. Uh, but it's an opportunity, right, uh, to solidify the bench, another big, you trade one for another. Now you have to wonder what they do with Ed Davis and how active they're going to be on in free agency tomorrow. I'm under the opinion that they would have traded Ed Davis as they could. They needed a roster spot, I think, the way things are going. We'll have to see how things go. But I think right. they needed the roster spot. And you're not going to carry four centers, and they couldn't move Davis, so they had to move Bradley, although they would have preferred to do that, You know, flip those two guys and keep Bradley and move Davis. Um, now it's on Azubuike to stay healthy and play. Does it bother you that he missed about 40% of the games that Kansas played in the four years he was at the school? Well, I never like to hear about injury. Um, it's always something that, you know, you always have that what if, you know, in the back of your mind. I mean, the Jazz have had, you know, the Curtis Borchards, uh, you know, I was thinking back of draft picks that didn't work out. Uh, you had uh, the mental health issues with Luther. Uh, Luther Wright. So, you know, it's. I'm not sure how this worked this year because of COVID and Zoom calls and and you know you've got to look at medical records. I'm sure, so they have to be aware of some of those things that went down um, for Azabuki at KU. But um, I don't know. It's uh, injuries always concern me. You know, Rudy had issues with those knees, or you know what three years ago, but able to bounce back, and he's been healthy, knock on wood, uh, the last, you know, what, two and a half seasons. So uh, you hope that's the case. Um, it's it's a difficult thing to bridge. But, you know, teams try to be prepared for all those things. Look at what happened Clay Thompson. You know, just when you think it's all back together and, you know, the reports aren't good, but, uh, you know, you hurt one knee and then you you hurt the other the other leg and that is so common um, when you refocus and rehab sometimes you you know the the other leg tends to 
become weaker. So it's it's a bizarre thing. This game's tough. I mean, you know, football's one thing. Basketball, pivot, turns, big guys uh, have more issues uh, than not uh, trying to stay on the floor. So let's hope he stays healthy and the Jazz medical staff uh, has the right you know, magical, you know, what do you call that, the old days with Gary Briggs, the magic spray. <laughs> if only it were as simple as magic spray. <laughs> a, bottle, <laughs> a bottle of magic spray. I, I love that. It sounds good, sure. I'm up for some magic spray. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's science. Let's go with that. Uh, I'm curious what you think or what you know, if anything, about Elijah Hughes, because a lot of Jazz fans, as soon as they picked a big guy, Twitter was full of people, with all these wing guys on the board. Now, Maybe they just like Elijah Hughes more than these other guys. I mean, Bain shoots the lights out, but maybe they don't think he's athletic enough. And, you know, Bay's been improving as a three-point shooter at Colorado, but people still have their questions there. Did it, Did they get the right wing guy? Do you have any idea, or how do you judge the defensive ability of a guy who is playing in a matchup zone anyway? Yeah, no, that's a great, great point. I don't know much about Elijah Hughes except for what's written, I, you know, I heard of him because he was uh, led the ACC, you know, in scoring at a little over 19 points a game. And plus, the Jazz, like anyone, PK and DJ, they're intrigued with size and length. And he's six six, so that gives you automatically the wing that you think that can guard and uh, can fill those passing lanes with uh, with length. So, you know, he's an All ACC first team selection. Should be obviously because of his scoring ability. But other than that, it's it's really hard. He kind of came out of nowhere for me. Um, on the other the other draft boards had, you know, the the Arizona, the Washington kid, the Colorado kid, and uh, it, you know sometimes the Jazz don't they surprise most of us every year with kind of that unknown pick. Uh, I don't know. I'm guessing a developmental player for now, along with Azabuki. So that kind of makes me think that they've got bigger plans. Um, obviously, they need to fill out a roster uh, with the second team. Jordan Clarkson uh, comes to mind as the most important cog with that second unit. Then, again, the money that has to be spent uh, to uh, to appease Donovan and Rudy Gobert, unless they go a different direction um, with Gobert. I would think that Donovan is here to stay as long as he wants, uh, guys. So... But the other thing I talked about last night, I'm still interested in the transition period from the Miller family to the Ryan Smith family. Uh, you know, who's making those calls in a very um, interesting time to say go, spend? Uh, because ultimately it becomes Ryan Miller, excuse me, Ryan Smith's responsibility uh, to take those paychecks under his belt and pay out. So I don't know how aggressive he's going to be or what the league actually allows during this transition time before they actually okay okay the sale. Uh, but that's intriguing because the Jazz are going to have to spend a lot of money in a very short period of time as we get close to opening the season up. Um, we got a Zoom call later this morning. I'm hoping I hear something about schedule. I'm not sure about preseason games. Camp opens up, uh, what, on uh, December 1st. Here it is. Uh, the 19th of November, and it's upon us. And we just had a draft, and we're still waiting for free agency. Uh, and we know most of the trades wasn't as active as I thought last night, but it's still there was some movement. 
and I'm anxious to see where this goes over the next uh, you know couple of days. I'm wondering what would be your guess for next season, this season, I mean, coming up. How many first- or second-year guys will be in uniform during games? Oh, man, that's, 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 that's a good one, PK. I mean, you look at the bench as we know it now, it looks like several. Um, DJ made the point about Ed Davis, if you can move $5 million contract. You know, if not, then that's a roster spot. You know, Conley's there, uh, a vet, you know, Donovan, Joe, Bogey. I don't see much happening with the starters rotation-wise, but you never know if there's a blockbuster trade. If it is, it's a veteran, right? So I see the bench, unless, again, they bring a veteran uh, bench player and uh, to ride alongside Jordan Clarkson that you're still going to have probably uh, those groupings from – 9, 10, 11, maybe 12 or 10, 11, and 12 are going to be young guys the Jazz continue to try to develop. Uh, much like the Spurs, PK, I mean, th- there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities in trying to find that player who someone else overlooked and then you turn them into, um, you know, Patty Mills, uh, so to speak. And, and, you know, there's always been somebody down there in San Antonio that, you know, rifles the shot in uh, because of Popovich. And we'll see if the Jazz had that same luck uh, with, like, a kid like uh, Hughes. As a Buki, as big as he is, and some of the injuries, as you mentioned, PK, DJ, I'm not real sure how this works. But I don't see him as the backup um, to, to, to go bear on a consistent basis. I see him as a, a developmental big with potential to take, you know, strides in the system. And that's why I think, you know, the free agent market, there's still something that uh, is going to come out of that. That's interesting because I do see him as the backup. And you're right. They might go get a backup and, and move Ed Davis. Um, that that could happen. But I kind of feel like Ezebuike is going to check in late in the first quarter for Rudy in the opener. Yeah. You know, if that's the case, the Jazz save money, which they don't want to go over the cap, that would be the answer, right? <clears throat> and so you pay the Supermax or as close as you can to what uh, Rudy Gobert is going to demand, command, and the uh, max extension out to Donovan Mitchell. And as a bookie, maybe, you know, way to, well, what they did, they traded down, right? So you saved about a quarter million dollars in a rookie contract deal. Uh, and he's 7 1, 280. I know he plays hard. That was, you know, everyone talked about that last night. But again, uh, I would say, like Tony, Tony had to reshape his body somewhat. I'm sure as a bookie who said he played around 285, 280, I'm sure there's going to be, you know, some discussion about, you know, body size, shape, the NBA versus college and trying to keep him on the floor. So all of it's intriguing, man. I, I really do. You know, I was just listening to Gordy Chiesa late last night. And, you know, he was a proponent of probably, you know, someone that there's some bigs that are available. But again, at what expense? Um, it's it, that's that's going to be intriguing to see if the Jazz are going to spend or pretty much stay put because they do have two players they have to take care of financially and Jordan Clarkson, mind you. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about Clarkson and number one in terms of priority list. 
Well, I would think you've got, you know, that second unit, PK, look what happened last year, man. It, the Jazz were 29th, if I'm not mistaken, in the league in bench scoring and productivity. And then they make the deal, and I know it was tough for Dennis to, to see Dante go because there's always this incredible talk and hope that he was going to be uh, the guy and a, and, a, and a player that could actually play some starter minutes as well. But injuries, again, I mean, Look, the guy could never stay on the floor, and the body just didn't uh, couldn't handle the the rigors of the NBA. They they work a deal with Cleveland, and somehow they get Jordan Clarkson out of this, and he just absolutely turned the light switch on. He was given a green light by Q, and you know his shot. He he was a heavy um, uh, in, in sense of field goal attempts. The green light. He was going popping fifteen shots a night on average, and that was okay with Quinn. But also, look, he never let the dribble go. He was like a Steve Nash. He searched, he searched, he looked. He's a more physical guy, had some outside ability and, and drive to drive inside. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a heck of a deal to get him. So I can't imagine them letting him slip away because he was such a big impact. And those are rare finds, as you guys know, uh, to get a sixth man that has that much ability that can actually slide in as a starter if necessary. So, yeah, I would think he'd be on top of the list to appease. Other other teams are going to be after him. And I think you have to hope that he feels like he's got a home here. And he enjoys – I know he enjoys playing with these guys. But, again, money talks, as we all know. Uh, Bola, were there any other teams in the West that you felt like uh, really either impressed you or uh, really you thought failed? Did anything change in the playoff race, essentially? Other than uh, the obvious one, if the Warriors have lost Clay Thompson, then oh, that's massive. Huge. Yeah. No, San Antonio, I thought at 11, picked up a pretty good player in uh, Devin uh, Vassell, I believe. He's the Florida State kid. Um he can shoot lights out. Um, you know, it's it's hard because this draft didn't really have PK and DJ the the high level. It was almost like choose your flavor. You know, at Baskin Robbins, it was it was like who do you need? And what looks good? There wasn't a clear cut, you know, decision. Uh, Lamelo Ball falls to three. You know, he's going to play for Jordan Charlotte uh, Hornets. He's a playmaker, but again, a lot of discussion about his ability to shoot the ball from his chest. You know, doesn't get a high release. Uh, Minnesota goes with Anthony Edwards, but uh, Minnesota was intriguing. They made a lot of moves, but I'm still not sure. I got to study the roster more on what really they did. Uh, in the sense of, I think veteran moves, free agent moves, trade moves, or trade moves and free agent moves to be. I think the whole West is just a buzzsaw again. I mean, I hate to say that to Jazz fans, but, you know, Ricky Rubio's on the move uh, again to Minnesota. Uh, OKC, Young making a lot of uh, daring moves along with Phoenix. And I think the probably the biggest news as we come, uh, as this day progresses, you know, Golden State was supposed to be kind of right in that mix again with everyone healthy. And now you got a Clay injury, a Clay Thompson injury. So, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta try to stay, you know, pace and, and the way the league's gonna do it, there's still gonna be those play-in games, but I don't think Jazz fans want to hear, boy, we're gonna fight for eighth, ninth, or a tenth spot, you know, to try to find our way into the playoffs. It's that next step that's the most, <clears throat> pardon me, the most difficult. And, 
Um, I think there's got to be some movement for the Jazz to solidify that. The one good thing is Bogdanovich is healthy and he's back, and the Jazz still were able to nearly knock – well, they should have knocked off Denver in the first round but lost after a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets. Uh, So Bogey's back healthy. That will help. That's 20 plus the three-point shot that he's got. But I think the Jazz still have to add a piece, uh, if not two, to really uh, be on that front porch of, uh, com- you know, to be really competitive competitive in the top four in the West. Bowler, we appreciate a few minutes as always, and we will uh, talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Be safe. Thanks. Craig Bowler Jack's weekly interview presented by University of Utah Health, trusted healthcare provider for the Utah Jazz family and yours with 16 neighborhood health centers. U of U Health has a game plan for your family's care. Visit uofuhealth.org slash jazz. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Judoka Azubuki with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What do you think about playing alongside Rudy Gobert and, and Donovan Mitchell? Is that something that gets you excited? Oh, man, I'm so excited to go out there and walk with Rudy, walk with Donovan Mitchell. Um, Mitchell, I started Rudy, you know, like just picking his brain as a tiny defensive player of the year. I mean, like, I know that, you know, just learning from Rudy, like a guy like Rudy is really going to help my game a lot. And um, I'm so excited to learn from Mitchell and, you know, his brain and what he brings to the table and what he can do. Like, I'm just excited to learn from this superstar. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join The Big Show Friday from 2 to 7 at The Warehouse at 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Boom! Sorry, yeah, man. I thought it was earlier in the day we did that. First time we've done it today. Boom. We have I to know. do. We I thought we normally did it time. earlier. Is what I'm yeah. saying. All right. I want to answer one of the questions you threw at PK there as best I can, or PK that you threw at Bowler there as best I can. How many first and second year guys on the roster next year? If I had to pick a number, I would pick five. And I could That's be. What I was going to say I could be off by one in either direction. They could surprise us here with a two for one trade, or you know something like that. So there's definitely right. wiggle oh, room sure. to this. But basically, the third string is development and is young guys. And there are plenty of guys fighting for those spots. Somebody won't get in there. Um, but that's what happens when you have three second round picks one year, and you add two more guys into the right, draft right. the next year. Um, so it's. It depends, you know. Are they gonna? They, I guess they could buy Ed Davis out. I, I think he's back. I think there's a certain amount of, um, you know, he's not great, but we know what he can do, and we need depth there. You can't get caught short. Uh, there aren't a lot of guys or matchups that are demanded, and so. But they could, they could let him go. They could bring someone else in. I was a little surprised when they drafted as a weekend. I always wondered, you know, are they gonna bring in? The stretch five, because do they want to experiment with playing five out and having a different style when Rudy's off the floor and throw people? David Locke asked that question at the end. How important it is to be able to play all 48 minutes the same way? To which the laughing response was, it's really important if you're good at it. (laughs) Well, yeah, because if you're not, then why would you do that? If if your way is successful, you stay with it. So it's important to play well, which supersedes the way you play. But this roster being built, it just screamed a backup to Rudy with Doak, and I don't see how they can go in any other direction unless both of those guys are off the floor. 
Right. And I don't really see the player who would be the, I mean, what, is, uh, Bogdanovich is going to be the five? Yeah, I mean, Bogdanovich or Joe. Yeah. Um, so I, I would anticipate that a lot of these young guys, the, the, the chance will come. And, you know, how does that shake out with, uh, with Brantley and with Morgan? And you got to put Rajon Tucker and Mione in the mix. And now you're adding two guys here who are getting drafted. Who's going G League, two way contracts? Um, they signed a guy to a two way contract this morning, this Trent Forrest out of Florida State. He's uh, played full, all four years at, uh, at Florida State. Another four-year guy. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Shot 45% from the floor, only 28% from the three, 82% from the line. Uh, so he obviously wasn't drafted, so he's going to be a, a two-way guy that they're going to bring in and see if he develops. He's, he's a guard, obviously. He's a point guard, as, a, as I understand it. Uh, yeah, 6'4", maybe a combo-type player. I didn't see a lot of them. I don't I actually don't re- remember seeing much of them, but I just looked them looked them up here, uh, as far as uh, Florida State goes. So they they got him added to the mix. But yeah, I think they're going to have a number of young guys, and it's intriguing here. You know, and going you read all the evaluations of the draft, and those are fun things to do too, and uh, have guys. You know, as that one dude who was would go back and change his draft afterwards <laughs> with the accusations. I don't know if they were true or not. Yeah, to see the mock drafts and, and whatnot. And, and I'd have to say this was a surprise pick. And some people had him going like in the high 30s, early 40s in the second round. So if you go in that line of thinking, then this was a reach. But at the same time, when he played – he was pretty consistent at, at Kansas, and you knew what you were getting, so you would anticipate that they know what they're going to going to know what they're going to get here, because this kid at Kansas gave him what he gave him. He gave them a lot. You know what I mean? He was able to. You you can count on him now. The injuries here, you know, I get it. The non you can't help a team if you're not available to play. But at the same time, it's not like there were back or foot injuries, which would just scream red flags to me, you know, because those injuries tend to linger, particularly below the waist on big men. Well, that's not what it is with this young man. So I have to, I, I don't know that I can assume it, but I anticipate this not being that big of an issue, particularly if he gets himself in the shape that he needs to be in. And maybe he's already in that shape, but he will get in better shape here once he starts working out, and it's something you do every single day, and you do it hours on end every single day too. Uh, so, you know, I would think they would like being at the basketball facility. Only Trey Lyles whined about it. Everybody else, this is your job, man. Get in there and work your butt off, which I anticipate this kid doing. Well, he already went through the weight loss thing and uh, changed his body when he was told he needed to, so uh, that seems to kind of point in the right direction. Um, no, Very that positive. Seems, seems to be a positive right there. All right, we got a lot of reaction flowing in from uh, Jazz fans on the draft. We will get to that coming up. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.